This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. People! People! Who cares about this stupid election? Uh, we do. Or at least, we care about most of it. There's some really weird stuff on the Denver ballot this year. And some really important stuff hiding behind intentionally confusing language. So, we're gonna go through it, item by item. Hopefully it helps. Today's Friday, October 22nd, 2021. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Hey, it's Paul. It's Friday. Normally, this is where we look back at the news of the week and share our thoughts and perspective. But here in Denver, we've got an election coming up. You probably have your ballots already sitting on your counter gathering dust. That's where mine is. Just sort of looking at it, contending with the prospect of voting at some point, and I'll do it eventually. Um, I'm here with uh, our host, Bree Davies. Bree, where's your ballot? Oh, gosh. Um, it's in a pile on the floor next to my desk. Because my desk has gotten so full that the important papers have now migrated to the floor. They're right next to the trash, which is like maybe the worst possible place. But it's with all of the election stuff I've gotten in the mail and the blue books. So it's all in one spot. Very centrally I can see gathered it. Mm-hmm. In a good, good pile. Yep. Uh, also here with us today, producer Alexandra McMahon. Alexandra, where's your ballot sitting? <laughs> I don't want to say, but I think it I, it's still in my mailbox because we're really bad about checking our mail. Your poor mailman. Nice. nice. I know. Every time we check it, it's like bursting. And I'm like, I'm sorry. We always forget because like we live in a big apartment building. So it's like kind of a walk. It's not like out our front door like you and Bree. And so, yeah, we, we have to go get our ballots from the mailbox. Languishing in the box. Hasn't Forgotten. made it into the apartment. <laughs> no. Love it. Love it. Love it. And then rounding out the group today, newsletter writer Peyton Garcia. Now, you don't live in Denver proper. I don't get a Denver ballot, so. Oh. Yeah, do you have, did you get a ballot this year? Yeah, I'm actually um, a little concerned <laughs> about that. I got something in my email saying that my Boulder County ballot was on its way because I used to live in Louisville which is Boulder mm. County. Um, but then I moved and now I'm in Weld County and I don't know mm. where my <laughs> ballot is. Um, so that's a question know. we could I'm ask really Clerk sure. and Recorder on Twitter. They're very good at responding about how to find your ballot and stuff, yeah. which might be good for helpful for other people in your situation, Peyton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is something we could do. Hmm. 
help everybody out, including Peyton, hmm. <laughs> find her ballot. Yep. So that's a project for the weekend. <laughs> what, a, what a fun good, project. Good <laughs> find my ballot. Find the ballot. But there is a lot on Denver's ballot this year. I mean, even though it's an off year and people aren't paying attention as much, you know, we're not voting on any big political offices, no governor on up for re-election or anything like that. We do have some interesting stuff to talk about, and we thought today we'd just run down the ballot and uh, go one by one and talk about what's on there and offer a little context and perspective about how, how people uh, can vote. So shall we get into it? Yeah. Dive in. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. First up, in my opinion, this is the big one. This one was This one was mine. I took this one. It's the bond. It's referred questions 2A through 2E. Mayor Hancock put this on the ballot because he wants the city to, I guess, uh, authorize $450 million worth of new debt. Uh, But what does that actually mean? I had a lot of questions about this, mostly what is a bond and how does it work? So I went out and found... I have to say, the absolute perfect person to talk about this. My name is Todd Ely, and I'm the uh, an associate professor at the School of Public Affairs at the University of Colorado Denver, uh, where I direct our uh, Center on Local Government. And on top of all that, Todd researches municipal finance with a focus on infrastructure, which is exactly what this bond is, is a tool of municipal finance how we pay for stuff how we pay for stuff how we shape the city around us how we decide what's important to spend money on and what's not and that's kind of what the bond is yeah so pretty much much the bond right and and historically they were paper (laughs) and and sometimes still are uh but uh the the bondholder is really just lending money right to the the city and in in return right there's this uh, financial obligation being incurred. And what the city's promising is to not only pay back the money that was lent to them, but also to make periodic interest payments, uh, basically for the benefit of receiving the funds from the lender. And we are the city as taxpayers, right? Yeah. Like this is our money. 100%. Okay. 100%. That's a good distinction because the city, I, I could think it means like city government. Like the city so government's like, responsible for that, but that money comes from us as taxpayers. Mm-hmm. So that's why we have to approve it or not approve it. Yeah. And when we when we incur this debt, when we would decide that we're open to incurring this debt, we're saying we're also going to be paying interest on this, on this money. So anything we spend now, it's actually going to cost a little bit more over the period of years it takes to spend the money on these projects that are in the bond. And according to Todd, for investors who would be buying these bonds, it they're very secure and reliable. There's there's like pretty low risk. It is that it's the backed by the full faith and credit of uh, the city and county of Denver. So uh, general obligation bonds have uh, very strong credit backing because the, the city is essentially saying, We'll do whatever we have to do in, in order to, to pay back, right, the money that we borrowed and the interest that we promised. And it's especially safe in the case of Denver, uh, who has uh, the highest possible uh, credit ratings 
uh, a AAA rating from all of the three major credit rating agencies. And, uh, you know, I, I think it really highlights um, the, the, the economic uncertainty that was brought about by the pandemic. And uh, the fact that the city really sees an opportunity to uh, make sure that the economic recovery uh, remains strong and that the city can, you know, in, take this opportunity to invest in the future. We get more bang for our buck, I think, is, is the idea that Todd is trying to convey. It seems so backward to me that like we just had a or we're still currently in a pandemic and economically it has impacted us in some way. You know what we should do? Take out a loan. Like what? But it's like buy low, sell high. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm becoming more and more of an anti-bond person as I learn. Interesting. I think (laughs) the Democratic Socialists, a ballot guide really... (laughs) pushed me towards being anti the whole bond but what do they say about it well they're just like why would we take out debt right now like you know what i mean like we already we're already we're constantly paying back debt we're still paying back a bond from 2017 it just Mm -hmm. seems like kind of irresponsible but especially when we're not necessarily addressing some there are definitely things in the bond that are that are uh needs that we have right now you know, better rec centers, parks, infrastructure issues, library improvements, things that I could absolutely get behind. But then there's also this giant boondoggle at the bottom of that bond that's like, oh, by the way, let's throw this arena on the end of it that we already have so many giant venues. What? So, well, well, Brie, all right. I'm not saying that, like, I agree with the arena or anything on this bond, but in the like grand scheme of bonds, do you think though that like sometimes it is necessary to get into more debt in order to get out and recover? I mean, I think that's the only way that cities can get things done because how mm-hmm. else do you pay for giant projects? I just am always weary because it feels like something is being pulled over on us a little bit. Like for instance, the Denver Art Museum's brand new front door that cost a gazillion dollars. Bond. Bond paid for. Why? I don't know. We didn't really need it. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just playing the skeptic because I'm concerned that we still are not prioritizing the issues in the city that need support and help right now. No, I mean, I that's a good point. And Todd would, um, I think Todd would provide a little bit of context on the worst case scenario. So you said it seems irresponsible or the DSA said it seems irresponsible to be uh authorizing the city to go into this much more debt. Uh, so what's what happens if this turns bad? What if, how could the city like not, how could we uh, fail, like what would have to happen if we failed in our obligation to pay back the debt? Does this mean higher taxes? Are we like betting on our future growth? What happens if we don't grow? That's, that's to me, that was the real heart of this whole thing is like, is is could this be a disaster? Are we are we gonna hang? Is this a noose we're tying around our necks? Um, Todd says that's really unlikely. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know Denver has the highest AAA credit ratings uh, from all the credit rating agencies, uh, which reflects sound financial management practices and you know a, a very solid uh, you know uh, set of reserves and, and uh, a nice broad tax base, right? As a city and county. 
Um, and I would also note that the general obligation debt, uh, which this would add to, is really quite low historically, uh, whether you look at it on a per capita basis or as a percentage of, of the property tax base. So for those reasons, right, there, there really isn't much concern, um, you know, of a, of a financial worst case scenario. Um, kind of at the extreme, you know, to answer your question, if there really were a prolonged economic downturn that dramatically reduced property values, then there might be the need, right, for uh, a property tax rate increase to make sure that the, the, the debt can be adequately serviced. Um, you know, from my personal perspective, I think that's unlikely and it's unexpected, uh, but it definitely, that would be the worst case scenario. At the same time, property taxes, uh, the rate probably wouldn't have to be raised very much. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I just think about how we've been talking about how we're in a bubble and that bubble's going to burst, but we've been talking about that bubble bursting for at least five years and it's, it's, we see no signs of the city not growing. So he may be right. It might be fine. Yeah. And then finally, I think, you know, for me, this was, uh, this was the most useful. I just asked Todd, like how, if he, you know, when he sits down to, to fill in his ballot, like what's going through his mind when he's making choices about these five bond items. And he had a little advice for uh, the average voter out there. You know, this is the opportunity to review a menu of options and kind of, uh, you know, vote specifically on their individual priorities, uh, where they think, right, the, the city's resources should be going. And I will applaud the city for doing that, right? So they could have lumped this into one big bundle um, where they said $450 million in bonds, you know, vote yes or vote no. And, and instead, right, it's broken up into those, um, you know, five different kind of uh, uh, packages of activities. And so it does give voters, you know, the ability to pick and choose. And, uh, you know, well, it's great that the voters give a, given a choice at the same time, right? They, they don't have any ability to change the dollar amounts allocated uh, to one of the categories versus another. So uh, a voter might feel like housing and sheltering, right? Uh, deserves more, but they're going to be limited to that, you know, $39 million in, in, in bonds that are, that are being uh, uh, suggested on the ballot. Um, so, you know, pick and choose, uh, look across these options and determine, you know, uh, what appears to be a priority for, for the individual as a voter. And that allows us to, to make an individual decision about the most controversial item in the bond package, which is referred question 2E, the $190 million for the National Western Center upgrades, renovations. And of course, the thing we've talked about so much, Mayor Hancock's proposed new arena, a new 10,000 seat arena for the National Western Center. Um, so this one is such a hot button issue. We thought we should really get a little bit deeper on this one. So stay tuned, listeners. Uh, we're going to talk to some experts about why or why not. Uh, approve $190 million for the National Western Center. And that's the bond. Okay, so let's move on to the next item on the ballot. It's referred question 2F. This is the group living amendment repeal. We talked about this on the show earlier in the week. 
Bree, did you have anything you wanted to add to your conversation with Piper? I did just because Piper and I talked about the group living aspect in terms of sharing your home in that. So prior to this year, only two unrelated adults could live together. They pushed it up to five. This 2F is asking to repeal that and move it back to two. So that's what Piper and I talked about was the sharing your home aspect. But there's something else that I want to talk about in the 2F thing that you're voting on, and that is um, the group living ordinance also expanded our ability to build halfway houses, sober living facilities, and group homes in more parts of the city. So they tend to be concentrated in certain areas. Um, Those areas typically were at one point neighborhoods of color, um, lower income neighborhoods. As the city has sort of changed and we've seen uh, sort of reversal of white flight, um, folks are coming back to those neighborhoods and they're not wanting things like sober living facilities in their community. And I think it's super important for us to have those because for people to recover, they need to be in community. And it's also our entire city's humanitarian responsibility to house people and take care of them, regardless of what neighborhood you live in. So my neighborhood happens to be a place where we have a ton of affordable housing. They're actually building um, a brand new affordable housing uh, structure like on my block. And um, I'm super excited about it because I want to see more building like that. But I know a lot of neighborhoods have been pushing back. So the the opponents or the people that are saying repeal 2F um, are trying to use these scare tactics to say, you don't want this in your neighborhood. This is dangerous for children. Um, these these folks already live in your neighborhood. Sorry. Like people in recovery already live in your neighborhood. I'm one of those people. Um, people who are coming out of incarceration already live in your neighborhood. Uh, this would just allow for us to have more options for those folks who are part of your community. So I just think um, voting no on 2F is important if we want to not only provide more housing options across the city, but also provide a humanitarian um, option for people that are in stages in their lives that they need support. And that's what these places provide. Well, thank you, Bree. I know you feel very passionate about this one. So that was a no if you do not want the amendment to be repealed. Right. If you want group living to stay in place as an ordinance. You vote no. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the next one. We're getting into some some weirder ones. 2G. Alexandra, this one was yours. This one would make some changes to the way the independent monitor's office operates. What exactly are we talking about here? Right. Okay. So the independent monitor, it's the police watchdog, you know, holds law enforcement agencies in Denver accountable Um, so this would basically change who gets to appoint future independent monitors. Um, and right now, like this is mainly the mayor's job after he gets recommendations from this board that also acts as a watchdog in the city called the citizen oversight board. But basically 2G would put the board more in the driver's seat and city council would have final say over who the board picks. So this would definitely take the mayor's role in this process back a lot um and just in case you are like what is the citizen oversight board um Mm -hmm. it basically it was created around the same time as the independent monitor's office um and it's just made up of 
Denverites from all different backgrounds, career paths, and the mayor appoints them, and they're the watchdog over the police watchdog. So they keep an eye on the independent monitor's office. They make sure they're doing their job right. Um, And they also act as like a second pair of eyes on law enforcement agencies in Denver, too. So they have a big job. So, well, so, Alexander, what is this? What's the implications here? Like, it seems like if we approve this measure, it might mean that the independent monitor would get to be a little bit tougher or maybe we would have a tougher independent monitor appointed by the Citizens Oversight Board. Is that right? I don't know if it means the independent monitor would be tougher per se, but essentially it would give them more autonomy. And also, if the Citizen Oversight Board gets to appoint the independent monitor, then this takes the potential for conflict of interest with the mayor out of the equation. So uh, this is how Julia Richmond, the vice chair of the Citizen Oversight Board, explained it to me. Um, the independent monitor in being appointed and you know being able to be fired by the mayor means that if the mayor and the monitor come in conflict with one another, you know that could potentially be job ending for the monitor in the current situation. So I'm wondering, Alexandra, if you could speak to maybe the opposite end. Why? I mean, what would be this kind of seems like a no brainer to me that we would want the Citizen Oversight Board to have more autonomy. Why might people not want that? What would maybe be some cons to this? Well, that's a good question, Peyton. And I asked Julia if there was any opposition to this, because, again, I agree. It seems like a very sensible move. Um, And I hadn't been seeing any opposition in my research. and, And this is what she told me. Um, You know, I think the Denver Post quoted the mayor's office as saying they're not um, overly against it or something like that. You know, it was like, as the mayor, you want more things to be under your control, right? And you don't want less things to be under your control. And so, um, you know, no mayor is going to be like, I can't wait to give up, you know, authority over X. But, um, oh, yeah, the quote from the Denver Post was, is not generally opposed to the proposal at this time. So that's like probably as warm as you're going to get from a mayor's office. Oh, and then the last thing I'll say about this is that um, the there's another aspect. You might see this in the language of the ballot initiative. Um, it it would also allow the independent monitor to seek outside legal counsel. And I was kind of confused on like what that means or like why the independent monitor's office would need outside legal counsel. And this was really interesting because right now, if uh, the independent monitor has a legal question about like the work they're doing, or if they, you know, if they're wondering like, you know, oh, did the police act according to the constitution or, you know, whatever, they go to the city attorney who is also the legal advisor to the mayor and the public safety department. So there is, again, conflict of interest there, Mm. and they're all using the same attorney. So really every part of this ballot initiative is just simply to give the independent monitor more autonomy, more independence. Um, And then also they're hoping, like, right now the position has been vacant since January after Denver's former independent monitor, Nick Mitchell, left. Um, And they've been slowly going through that hiring process. But because, you know, Julia told me because the mayor is still currently in charge of filling that position and the mayor has a lot of things to do, she's hoping that if the Citizen Oversight Board is tasked with filling the independent monitor, that role will get filled faster in the future. Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I think um, probably time to move on. Let's go down to 2H. Now, this one was also you, Alexandra. This one has to do with the way that we run elections themselves, right? What What's this about? 
Yeah, this one's pretty simple. It would just move Denver's municipal elections up a month. Um, Right now they happen in May. If 2-H passes, they would happen in April, starting in 2023. So not next year, but the year after. So this matters because apparently the way the city charter, Denver city charter, outlines elections right now makes it so that the clerk and recorder's office who runs elections has very little time to prepare in the event of runoffs. So uh, normally runoffs happen about a month after the normal election happens. And because some city law says that ballots have to be mailed 21 days before an election, 45 days for military and overseas ballots, if the regular election is in May and the runoff happens in June, that's a super tight window to get ballots out in accordance with that state law. So this change would help with that. Um, and I, again, I don't think anyone is putting up any opposition to this. Um, I, you know, think yeah. it's a, it seems it makes fine. sense. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Now that's the last referred question on the ballot. And now we're going to move into the initiated ordinances, which are citizen led uh, questions that have been put on the ballot because people got enough signatures. Um, and this first one was yours, Peyton. This is something about a pandemic research fund? Yes. So initiated ordinance 300, the Denver Pandemic Fund Initiative is what it's being called. So if passed, this measure would increase city sales tax on recreational marijuana by 1.5% or about 15 cents per $10 spent, according to ballot sponsors. Um, And based on our city's recreational marijuana sales, they're they're estimating that should generate an extra $7 million annually. And where that money would go is it would be given to a research group at the University of Colorado Denver called City Center. And they would use that money to do pandemic-related research, which would include things like improving PPE, um, personal protection equipment, sterilization technology and strategic policies and protocols for when a pandemic hits. So basically the idea is to be better prepared for the next pandemic. Mm. Um, It should be noted that Denver sales tax on recreational marijuana right now sits at 26%. If this passes, it'll go up to about 28%, a little over 28%, I think. And, but there's also a statewide initiative that will be on the statewide ballot that would add another 5% to sales tax. So in total, if both pass, that would leave Denverites um, paying 33% in marijuana sales taxes. Um, For recreational. Which, yes, recreational okay. only. Mar- medical marijuana is not impacted oh, at all. Oh, so we're going to just have to go back to our just regular dealers then. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was call my say. homie. So a lot of people are arguing that this would push marijuana back into the black market. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. That's a that's mm-hmm. a lot of that's I mean yeah. it already is a high tax and I understand the syntax. Um, but also but what? it's a great cause and I wish we had a group like this before COVID that was doing pandemic research. I mean we were so unprepared but also yeah, I mean that's like a really high tax and do we know anything more about this group Peyton City Center? Yeah. So the CU Denver City Center, so they describe their mission as connecting university resources to businesses and community leaders interested in solving urban issues. Okay. 
pandemic doesn't strike me as a particularly urban issue personally yes but, you know that that is that is the, the the problem so they have so cu denver city center has stressed that they have not helped with the ballot campaign they're not taking any stance on the issue um but if approved they do believe they could do immense good with these funds so the people who actually put the ballot who put the issue on the ballot is a Delaware-based nonprofit called Guarding Against Pandemics. And in the bigger picture, they've been trying to push Congress to approve $30 million in pandemic prevention funds as part of President Biden's budget reconciliation bill. So their whole thing, like I said, is trying to be prepared for the next pandemic. Um, but the biggest, the biggest thing that opponents are saying is city dollars shouldn't be spent on a federal problem mm. so they're saying so um i've really found hardly any support for this ballot it's mostly been opposition so um the marijuana industry group which is um so they're a colorado-based trade organization that represents roughly 400 cannabis businesses um, and they told Business Den, quote, I literally cannot think of a cause that's going to achieve more attention globally than pandemic research. It makes no sense to ask Denver cannabis consumers to foot the mm. bill for that. The Denver Post editorial board said something similar. And Mayor Hancock said, quote, while we continue to grapple with the impacts of COVID-19, adding a cost burden to just Denver voters seems unfair. Let's rely on our national research institutions to do this work and share the responsibility more broadly than just Denver taxpayers. So the argument is that this is a federal problem that's getting a lot of federal attention. Why should Denver cannabis consumers be be on the hook for totally for something that I, I don't that is that is being funded on a much higher level um, and and some of the opponents also said that um, city center that's not really. It's not like that's their specialty. They don't specialize in um, pandemic research. They they do all sorts of other stuff. Um, it's so weird to me that this ordinance didn't come locally, that it's like came from Delaware. And like, is this Delaware group like targeting a lot of cities around the country, getting these, you know, ballot initiatives on, you know, I, that's so weird no. to me. So that's what I, I was wondering too. Um, I was trying to figure out if they were doing this in a bunch of different cities. So obviously they're lobbying for that change on a federal level. Um, but as far as why Denver, I couldn't really find a straight answer. So I, based on a statement I received from a representative working on the campaign, it sounds to me like they just wanted to take advantage of CU Denver's city center's resources, mm -hmm. their connections with the local community and Denver's marijuana sales tax legislation. Uh -huh. Otherwise, I, I cannot figure out why they want to do it here in Colorado, in Denver specifically. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. I couldn't find a ton of support. I think out on the surface, you're just like, oh, yeah, like that seems like a good thing, like avoiding, you know, another pandemic. But when you look at how much sales tax sales tax could increase if both the statewide measure and the city measure are passed, like that's insane. And um, we're going to, I mean, hopefully we're going to be getting a lot of um, support from a federal level if another pandemic hits, you know, that shouldn't be something that maybe 
city dollars are spent on local money is is spent on i think that that could be spent on other more important local issues like slightly more weed (laughs) 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 um all right that's a pretty easy one for me i mean I'm pretty comfortable saying this is going to be a no on my ballot. It's uh, such a bizarre ordinance to uh, to be even in front of us. What a what a weird thing I mean, is happening. I learned a lot. I'm glad Peyton did this deep dive because it really changed my mind on it. <laughs> it changed your mind? You were pro-pandemic research well, before? Yeah. Well, I mean, on, like, like I said, on the surface, it seems like without, a good yeah, thing, Without right? knowing the numbers, how much it's going to actually affect Denverites, I'm like, yeah, sure. Marijuana sales tax to pandemic research sounds great. And I'm sure a lot of people will look at their ballot and think the same thing. Hmm. So uh, <laughs> I wonder how uh, I wonder how it's going to come down. I have this like Simpsons-esque vision of all of the weed dealers that got put out of business when weed got legal coming together and being like, we should pass this so that people come back to us. <laughs> <laughs> Your friendly oh neighborhood God. weed dealer. The Delaware group is secretly just a bunch of Denver weed (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, that's pretty good. Very suspicious. (laughs) All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. We got uh, these next two are kind of a pair. So it's Ordinance 301 and 302. These two are probably the most confusing on the whole ballot. So we're going to try to, like, keep it short and keep it simple. Um, This has to do with the Park Hill Golf Course. 155 acres of open land in Northeast Denver. We did two episodes about this earlier in the spring. I think the best thing for listeners to do is to go back and listen to those episodes um, where we had uh, Penfield Tate, who represented the Save Open Spaces group, uh, come on and talk about like what the golf course and the open land means to the community as he sees it. Uh, and the value of open space, that group is trying to prevent development and maintain a conservation easement, which has been in place on that land for a long time. Um, and then, and so that group put 301 on the ballot, uh, which would make, oh my God, <laughs> there's so much. Brie, rolling your eyes because it's so complicated. I hate this whole thing. I think it's neighborhood infighting that has nothing that voters should not be making decisions about. Right now, there's no there's no voting. The, the status quo is that there is a conservation easement. The developers that own the land want to work with the city to lift it, to allow them to build mixed-use development on the land and a small park so penfield tate's group wants to stop the development and they put this initial this ordinance on the ballot to allow the whole city to have a say on whether or not there's development on this land and then 302 was the developer's attempt to to shut that down and it's like it's so confusing. It's intentionally confusing because it's almost the exact same language as 301, but with one small change that would exempt specifically the Park Hill golf course from the the ordinance 301 that would allow the whole city to vote on lifting conservation easements. So I think the best way to sum it up is the way that Denverite did in their ballot guide. And they wrote, if neither passes, nothing changes, which probably means there will be development. 
if both pass, there's going to be a new law on the books that doesn't affect the Park Hill golf course in any way. That's saying the exact same thing, right? If neither passes, nothing changes. If both pass, nothing changes. That actually didn't help. Just tell me how to vote. This is what I'm saying. Just tell it's, me how to it's vote. It's offensive to me that this is being done to voters to make a decision on something that they can't understand. Yeah, it's really unfair. It's really this is a unfair. great example of like, I feel like the voters being taken advantage of. Yes, it's political infighting. This is what's frustrating to me. So I know that 302 was put on the ballot because of the developers. That's not great. Yeah, yeah sure. I don't like that I aspect of it. But you know what? 301, you know who they're trotting out to get people to vote for 301? Mayor Webb. He runs a company that consults developers. Like, it's developers versus developers. It's so messed up. And what I think is, you know what? Get rid of all golf courses in the middle of cities, including Denver Country Club. That's private. Do we need a golf course in the middle of a city that's in a housing crisis? No. We need housing. So put housing on both of those and save a part of that for parks. The other part that frustrates me is the developers act like they're going to put a grocery, like we're bringing a grocery store to Park Hill. No, you're not. You can't. You literally cannot. Unless you as the developer are like, I'm going to go into the grocery business. Like you can't make that decision. So touting that as a reason to support the developer initiative 302 is wild. Both sides are telling really big stories and I hate it because it's not fair to voters. I just want to say for listeners that before this conversation, Brie was like, I'm not talking about it. And then we I just say like, and pushed her. We pushed seat. her to the edge. I'm so mad about it. I'm so mad. Because there's people I care about on the side, on 301, that I think are wonderful leaders in the community. I think they're dragging us into something that's not our decision as a city. Oh, Well, that's 301 and 302. Sort of. Good luck, everybody. Good, <laughs> Good, luck. <laughs> Good luck. Hey, Denver, it's Paul. I'm popping in here about 24 hours after we recorded the rest of this conversation because I think I finally figured this out. Yes, this ballot measure, these two dueling ballot measures pushed me to my limit, but I got it. Here's the situation. Penfield and the Save Open Spaces group want the Park Hill Golf Course site to remain open space. And if you want it to remain open space, the best way to show that on your ballot is by voting yes on 301 and no on 302. And then on the other side, if you side more with uh, the developers, so that's Kenneth Ho with Westside and Norman Harris with the Holleran Group, that's the the partnership that's behind the the development push if you want to see them build mixed-use development so maybe some parkland maybe some stores maybe a grocery store if they can attract a, a chain to put one in and if you want to see that kind of future for the site of the park hill golf course what you should do on the ballot is vote no on 301 and yes on 302 uh we only got a couple more, and they're both um, – we talked about both of these earlier in the week. These are uh, – 303 is the camping ban enforcement and limiting safe outdoor spaces on public land. Um, and then 304 is the one that would lower and cap our sales and use tax. So these were the ones that um, 
that Dark Money Group Defend Colorado has been supporting and that the Denver GOP chair Garrett Flicker um, organized to, to put on the ballot. Do we have anything else we want to say about either of these? I know we covered a lot of these with Connor earlier in the week. Go back and listen. Yeah, I think Connor did such a great job of explaining these that we don't need to add anything. Just it's listen to Connor. He'll explain what dark money is, why you should be concerned. And um, I still don't understand the lower sales taxes thing. (laughs) It just seemed like so random to just tack on there. But whatever. Yeah, it's like a it's like a lob. Like, hey, do you want this, voters? We're we're for lower taxes. We're the Denver GOP. Like, okay. just reminding you, just over here reminding you, we're the lower taxes guys. Even though there's, <laughs> even though city positions are nonpartisan, so we don't really have Republican mm. or Democratic representation in the city technically. So this is mm. how they do it. And then finally, to wrap up this very long ballot, there's a whole bunch of school board races going on. And this is pretty important. The board has decided some big stuff recently, like removing cops from schools, consolidating neighborhood schools, and of course, the whole Tay Anderson saga that we've covered extensively on the show all year. And here's what we're going to do about this. We're not going to go through the races one by one, but we are going to include a link in our show notes to past CityCast Denver guest Melanie Asmar's very thorough interviews with all of the candidates. I'm telling you, I read this this morning. I made my votes. It was incredibly helpful. There's nothing better. Melanie Asmar did a great job. Click on that link. Use this resource. It's the way to go, I promise. Well, Bree, Peyton, Alexandra, thanks so much for your hard work looking into all these. This was... Uh, this was hopefully useful for the listener, for voters out there making their decisions. That's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, and Alexander McMahon. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. We had Joshua and Diego from Los Mocochetes on the show earlier this week. Go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear more about the story behind the music that you're hearing right now. You can see them live on, on Saturday night at Racist Brewing. Heck yeah. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver. Tell a friend about us this weekend. Have a fun conversation about the ballot. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. All right, bye everyone. See you on Monday. Maybe this could be like the post-credits thing. October 25th is the last day to mail in your ballot. If you want to mail your ballot back in, it's October 25th is the last day. If you want to drop it off in person, you can do that on election day and it'll get counted. That's November 2nd. Good luck, everyone. I'm so happy this is over. I don't even vote in Denver. (laughs) 